welcome to Straight Talk Live. And welcome to our very first episode in 2021 of Straight Talk Live. My name is Rick Snyder. I'm one of the co-hosts of our fantastic nonprofit show that's dedicated to really exploring the heart of human transformation, digital transformation, and social transformation and impact. And so we have a fantastic show today, really exploring the science of consciousness. I, if you're like me, you're probably agreeing that we all need a little more of that right now, a little more consciousness of what we're seeing going around the world today uh, in the last week or so. Um, I am the CEO of Invisible Edge. I'm also um, the head of culture at Refound and um, pr proud co-host of this show. I want to also kick it off to my co-host, Af Maholtra. Af, take it away. Thank you, Rick. Welcome to the um, the, the, the cool communities the, the, who are joining in today, the straight talkers, as we call you guys. And uh, Happy New Year. And uh, I want to start off with a pretty funny one, actually, when you when you talked about the new year. Uh, a chap, a friend of mine dropped me an email because, uh, you know, you wish people Happy New Year. And um, he wished me, he said, well, I can't say much, but I'm going to say, hope you have a reasonable 2021. <laughs> I was like, you know, I was like, you must be European, and he, he was. So um, we, we wish we wish you all a, a happy, not a reasonable New Year, and I think it's gonna it's gonna be epic. I'm delighted to be on the show today again, of course, and starting 2021 with this um, with this very special guest of ours today, and um, of course, um, Af Malhotra, the co-founder of uh, Growth Enabler which is um, an AI tech startup that I've been working on for the last five years. And of course, thrilled to set this up with Rick, my friend. And, um, you know, um, we've got a really exciting lineup for the, for the following few months and weeks. And uh, th today is the inauguration with um, um, Mr. Tom Campbell. So why don't you crack on with this, Rick, and then we'll go into flow, roll up our sleeves and discuss this very, very important issue that... Um, is is pertinent to all of us okay <clears throat> so once again this topic is one of the most interesting topics to me <clears throat> is you know what is consciousness what is that thing that lights up our our bodies you know what is it that gives us that sense of awareness and aliveness what's going on there and so we actually have tom campbell coming on board today who has studied this specifically for over 30 years an applied phys uh, physicist um, as well as an author and consciousness expert. So, Tom, welcome to Straight Talk Live. Well, thank you, Rick. I'm pleased to be here. Excellent. So, if you could just give our audience just a little bit of your background, what if you could give a brief bio on how did you get into this uh, field and just some of your passions that, that led you here? Well, it's been, it's been a long, strange path. You know, a lot of times... Uh, I get this this kind of double take and people say, you know, what's a what's a physicist like you doing in a place like this? You know, consciousness. Uh, those two don't seem to, to mix. But I was a graduate student in physics, just finishing up on my Ph.D. work. And I saw an ad to learn how to meditate. It was a, a transcendental meditation. And it promised that if I had learned to do this, that I would be able to get by on less sleep. And as a graduate student in physics, uh, doing experimental physics, that was really a, 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 an attractive <laughs> proposition. So I signed up, and I'll try to make this short. Uh, three or four months later, I, I took to it real, real easily, real well. And three or four months later, I found that I could bring up my 
uh, lines of code. You know, we all write lines of code when we do research. You know, mostly computer is what does all the analysis. And I could bring up my lines of code in my mind and have an intent that the code that had errors in it, you know, that I'm in a debugging process, would be red and the rest would be normally black. So I scroll by and something red goes by, I back it up, I look at it, and I wrote all the code so I know exactly where every line is and why it's there. And I saw maybe a half a dozen red lines. Hmm. And this is me sitting at my home, you know, uh, in a chair with my eyes shut, meditating. So I go into the office and I check, and sure enough, all those very same lines that were red were actually flaws in the code. And now this is back in the day when we're talking about boxes of punch cards. Mm -hmm. So we're talking like, um, you know, four, I had something like 4,000, 5,000 punch cards. And some of the errors could be not necessarily coding errors, but the punch hole might've been slightly off because the card punch that punched it wasn't, you know, they wear out. And as you Mm -hmm. get one that's out of alignment, the hole would be punched a little crooked and that would create an error. So those kinds of errors showed up as well. Just, and just to make sure I get this point, you would see the error in your mind's eye and then yeah. it would actually show up in, in physical form on the screen. Ex- exactly. Yeah. That right. is what was happening. So here I'm sitting in my home and I'm in a meditation state and I'm finding lo- you know, errors in my code. Now, back in those days, we had punch cards Debugging wasn't like it is today. You know, now you punch a button and the computer, you know, gives you all kinds of debug information and, and every run only takes about three seconds before you get to make adjustments. In those days, you'd put a run in at the computer facility, the one con- computer facility for the whole university. And if you were lucky, in a week, you'd get a run out. It would actually run your job. you get in the queue. And if that job had a problem, there was no debug. It just stopped running, and you could figure out what the problem was. So being able to debug code was a super you know, important, really big thing. Most of us spent a lot of time doing mm. that because mm. you know, if you're only going to get one run a week or one run every other week, you better not have any errors in it or it's going to take you forever to get the job mm. done. So that was a big eye-opener for me. Mm-hmm. And I probably spent the next couple of months just pondering the possibilities because up until that time, I'm the typical physicist that has the idea of a, um, what do we call it? Um, if you can't measure it, it doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Right. Or if it does exist, it's irrelevant. You see, that's a, called an operational definition of reality. If you can't perform an operation on it, which mm-hmm. is say to measure it, then it's irrelevant. If mm-hmm. you can't interact with it, then it's not really part of our reality. Mm-hmm. So this really, this really started your hunger in learning more about how does the mind work, consciousness exactly. work, my interface with reality, how does this all really happen? And so that's really where that hunger came and that, that wanted that, to double click on consciousness even more, <laughs> right? Exactly, yeah. So I'm a physicist and what physicists do is model reality. Mm-hmm. And this on this day that I was able to do this and check it out and subsequently did it again and again and again, um, my mind was open to the point that I was only aware of a part of reality. There was another whole part of reality that wasn't 
necessarily measurable, didn't mm -hmm. interact with it in any physical way, but yet it had connection and impact on the physical reality. So it's not like they were entirely separate. Mm -hmm. And that just made me want to figure out how, why, what, you know, what was going on. And it turns out I get out of graduate school, I take a job, and within a few months, my new boss tosses a book at me and says, Tom, read this. I want to know what you think about it. Well, it was Bob Monroe's Journeys Out of the Body. And I'm thinking, ooh, this is weird. The boss gives you something about journeys <laughs> out of the body. Ooh, you know, what kind of place is this I'm working, you know? But, you know, he's the boss, so I read the book. And I tell him that if all of what I read in the book is true, then, wow, that tells us about another reality. And I was already mm -hmm. kind of open to that because of my experiences before. Mm -hmm. And... If it's not telling the truth, and the guy's just trying to make something interesting to sell books, then how do you know? How can you ever tell whether something is legitimate or whether it's not? You know, it's really hard to tell. Well, my boss agreed with me. He had the same, he came to the same conclusion. So he looked up Bob Monroe, tracked him down, which was not easy to do, and found out that he was only about 45 minutes away from where we worked. Hmm. So... He made an arrangement to go visit him. And I'm thinking, aha, I'm going to see, you know, is this guy just a hustler or <laughs> is he real? So we went out to see him. And as it turned out, he was no hustler. He was very real. He was very straightforward. Mm -hmm. He um, obviously didn't need income from a book. He was a wealthy guy. He was the CEO of his own cable company business, which back in you know 1970 was a brand new thing. So he mm -hmm. was right in on the leading edge of that and uh, had the whole area a captive. You know, he was the only mm -hmm. provider. So he was doing really, really well, lived in mm -hmm. the kind of the mansion up on the hill with the lake and the white board fence where the horses ran along <laughs> with the cars as you came in the mile long driveway, you know, a typical kind of thing. And I said, hey, this guy doesn't need to sell books, you know, particularly books on a, on a, you know, a kind of a very abstract subject. That's not uh, it. So anyway, um, Bob had just built a lab to study consciousness, mm -hmm. and he was looking for scientists mm -hmm. to man it. You know, it was like, build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. He just had the idea he should build it, and he didn't know what he'd do from then. But yeah. there I was, and a friend of mine who worked where I did, an electrical engineer. So we immediately volunteered, and uh, we started in another couple of weeks working with Bob, uh, mm. two or three times a week, and then came into more like four or five times a week until we were spending anywhere between 15 and 20 hours a week with Bob Monroe in his lab. And we first had to build equipment. You know, we had to, we had to do mm. a little construction work to uh, get it all set up. And then we would get in the booths and Bob would try to teach us how to go out of body because that was the deal. We'll be free scientists and you be a free out-of-body teacher and we'll each, uh, you know, benefit from the relationship. And Dennis and I were both kind of looking at each other sideways and saying, you know, if this turns bad, if this isn't real, you know, <laughs> if this is bogus, we're out of here. You know, mm -hmm. we're not going to stay here too long, but let's just see what's going to happen. Yeah. So we did. Bob taught us. And within a year or so, both Dennis and I were going out of body whenever we wanted to, you know, on demand in the lab. And my job was to try to understand theory. What is it? What is out of body? Yeah. What does it do? How does it work? You know, how, how does it happen? And 
what can you do with it? What can't you yeah. do with it? And why? So kind of the nature of consciousness was my role. Dennis was the equipment guy. He was yeah. a double E. So he kind of designed and helped build and make equipment. Well, let's actually go there next. Um, yeah. and, and just for the audience, uh, one of the things I also appreciate about your background, Tom, is you go way out there and out of body, literally way out there. And you have very amazing practical experience consulting with NASA and the military and rocket science and crazy things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing how you have such a wide range that you hold, which I really appreciate. And so really quickly, what is consciousness? How do you define it? And then I also want to hear about how do you talk about out-of-body experiences in a little more detail? Yeah. Well, well, I have a very uh, simple definition of consciousness, and that is that it's awareness with a choice. So it's an awareness that can make choices. And that's basically all it does. It makes choices. It can, it can uh, communicate, say. It can interact with other consciousnesses. It makes choices. It can send data and receive data. So that's it. It's, so would you uh, say a flower makes choices, for example, or a plant? Well, I would say mostly not. But there's lots of gray areas there, you know, that we don't know about. Hmm. So if we... Um, if we look at a dog or a cat, we'd probably say, yeah, they make choices because if you're an owner of one, you know, they do make choices. They do have personalities and they do, you know, have feelings and they have all the things that consciousness has. But if you look at a clam and you, you know, a clam has its foot out and if you touch that foot, it'll immediately jerk it back inside. Well, is that because it said, oh, something touched my foot. I need to pull it inside. Or was that just hardwired? Mm -hmm. Just hardwired that if the foot gets a stimulus, then the reaction mm -hmm. to that stimulus is to jerk it inside. Then mm -hmm. that's not conscious. Mm -hmm. You see, so that's see. not a choice. Mm -hmm. You see, the one, you know, the, the dog has a choice mm -hmm. whether to bite you or not. You know, the clam may or may not have a choice. We don't know. So huh. what, about, what about flowers or trees? Well, you know, a flower will track the sun, right? As the sun mm -hmm. goes by, it'll turn its face into mm -hmm. the sun. But that seems to be just hardwired. The sun heats up mm -hmm. one side yeah. of the stem a little more than the other side of the stem. And, you know, that's just kind of in its DNA to do that. So then that's not a choice. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. not conscious. But let's say it may have awareness without choice. Then it's not conscious. Now, the flower may or may not, but trees may have conscious, but we have some experiments that show that trees seem to know some of what's going on in their environment. So they may be aware, but without choices, then I wouldn't put them in the realm of consciousness. So that's just my definition. That's what I mean when I talk about consciousness. It's awareness with a choice. Now, what does awareness mean? Awareness means that you take in information, right? That's awareness. Mm -hmm. Information comes in and you process it to some extent, you know, it's, it's your information, it's what you, you see. So a tree may be aware of its environment in some kind of vague, kind of gross sense. I don't mean gross as nasty, I mean gross and kind of overall big picture sense, you know, it's certainly not sitting there doing Sudoku's in its, you know, in its mind or things like that. It's, uh, it'd be a very broad, vague sense. So it may have some awareness. I don't know. That's mm -hmm. hard to test. How do you do research to test a, a tree's awareness? You see, that's difficult. But uh, I doubt that it's conscious. 
But now we see books published about what's going on in the root systems of trees, mm -hmm. where they interact with fungi and, mm -hmm. and other chemicals, and they're passing things around, and they're helping some other tree not too far away that's having trouble. You know, they're sending nutrients over there, mm -hmm. and they seem to be making choices. Mm -hmm. But the question is, are those choices free will choices, or are those choices just hardwired mm -hmm. into its DNA, into, right. you know, its structure? Right. And I don't think we've actually satisfied that question yet. Yes, they're amazing and they do a lot of things, but, you know, hardwiring, like expert systems, you guys are into AI, you know, if you talk about an expert system, that doesn't have free will, doesn't make free will choices. It may emulate, say, a human being, and it may be, you know, way much better than required to beat the Turing test, you know, because an expert system... You know, if it had enough processing, fast enough, and enough information, you could make it emulate a human being very, very closely, mm -hmm. you know, theoretically. We're not there yet, but you could do that theoretically, but that wouldn't make it conscious. Mm. But if you have, you know, but we will have conscious computers, if you would like to talk to that uh, later mm -hmm. on, because you're into AI, we could talk a little bit. What? How do you get mm -hmm. a conscious computer and how do you build one? Mm -hmm. And what are they and kind of what's their limitations and how does that mm -hmm. work? Yeah. But in any case, we're just going on in my background. <laughs> so, um, so here I am with Bob and Roe and I spend the next 35 years doing research in the non-physical. Okay. In other words, you do something and it affects this reality. It's evidential mm. things like remote viewing, like, you know, reading numbers off a blackboard that were yeah, put there after. Talk, talk more about that auto out of body. What is that world like for people who might have yeah. never have experienced that consciously? Can you say a little bit more about the different iterations <clears throat> of what that might look like and feel like? Yeah, yes. I, just, I, want, I wanted to add one more bit of context for Tom. The, there's a whole piece that we've been doing last year around self-awareness related to chaos, crises, trauma. And we see a lot of our audience trying to find new ways and techniques to better understand themselves and the environment that they're in. Mm -hmm. And that poses a lot of questions. We've gone all the way um, down the path of, you know, Mark Devine, Navy SEAL commander talking about how he's blended the training of the, the, of, of, of the Navy SEAL training with Zen and uh, quoting the Mahabharata all the way to um, looking at regulated system, you know, how you regulate yourself and how you, you get some sort of semblance of where you are in this, in this, in this world. And so what we haven't touched on is um, out of body at all, but we have been toying with it. And so this is the first time you've raised something that's very hot and topical. So I, um, I just wanted to supplement the point from Rick. Talk us through what that, what, what does that really mean? What happened when you did what you did? And then we can go down to the, the path of science. Okay. Well, first of all, the term out of body is a very misleading and unfortunate term. Mm. Uh, there's nothing in your body that oozes out of your head and slips into the great beyond, you know, it doesn't work like that. That's what it sounds like. Mm. And that's probably what the vast majority of people believe and think of when they think mm. about a body that some spirit form kind of that lives inside of you comes out of your head and then goes off into the spirit realm. But mm. all of that is just kind of belief based stuff that was very much in vogue back in the early or late 1800s. You know, back uh, when theosophy was uh, kind of the mm -hmm. big uh, 
uh, you know, the big idea in, in alternative uh, explanations. Mm. And anyhow, that's not what it is. What it is, is basically shifting your focus to a different data stream. Now, that just pops up a whole lot of questions, you know, what data stream and what are you talking about? And we have to go a little bit into, into reality. I need a little time to do a discussion about the nature of reality before I really can explain what that means. But the out of body is not something going out of your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the basic physics that I'm coming from is the same idea that most physicists have i should maybe not most but a large a large minority at least if not most physicists have that this reality that we live in is information based and that's because quantum physics screams that that's just what it is it's information based it's all about information Mm. and these days physicists don't think of an electron as a little chunk of mass with a charge they think of an electron as a point with the attributes of mass and charge. Because if they try to model it as a chunk of mass with a charge, they can't predict right answers of experiments. It just doesn't work. Reality isn't like that. But if they look at it as a point with attributes of mass and charge, which is how you would simulate an electron, you'd make it a point and you'd give it attributes of mass and charge. If they look at it that way, then they can get the right answers. They can actually predict through quantum mechanics what happens in these, you know, big colliders, you know, where particles smash together and so on. So they have come to the conclusion that reality is information-based, not Mm. mass-based. All right. Well, Mm. if you start from that idea, Mm. and they don't like to go any further than that. Physics tends to stop there because they don't really know what the logical consequences of that statement are, that it's information-based. And because they don't have any thing that any mathematics that takes them anyplace else, they just kind of stop and say, well, that's it. It's information-based, but we don't, we, not, we don't really have anything else to say about it. It just is that way. That's what our experiments tell us. But you don't have to stop there. Okay, that's, that's not a good place to stop. If it's information based, that is the same as saying that it could be computed, or it's computable. It's the, it's the same mm-hmm. thing. Logically, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, if it's computable, that's the same as saying it can be simulated, it can be a simulation that's computable. Okay. And if it's a simulation, that's logically the same thing as saying it's a virtual reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. So they don't like to go down that path because they don't have any, you know, it, it's like a, a wall they can't get through. They can't they say, okay, it's a virtual reality, but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. They don't know. They can't go from there. They don't have any theory or math to take them that, into that space. Their space is all objective space. Science is objective. Anything that's not objective is not science. Mm. Consciousness is not science. That's something else. You know, science is objective. So when you are a materialist and you believe that, then you kind of, you hit the wall here with this being a virtual reality because that takes you immediately out of the realm of it's objective. It's not. 
it's virtual, you see. So that's the, um, that's kind of where, where science is with this. They get to that point, but we can actually go a lot further than that. It's not that hard to say, well, let's just take this thought. If it's a virtual reality, what does that mean? Okay. So let's just say, what is a virtual reality? You know, do we, you guys want to do that? You want to just run down this rabbit hole a little bit to kind of see where this, where this goes? It, I'll end up about 15 minutes later or so with a pretty good explanation of the nature of reality, which then will make things like out of body seem a lot more rational. Or do you not want to go there? I, I, th we, we, I think it would be great to touch on that. But before we do, um, when you I'm, I'm intrigued by it's playing on my mind when you talked about the experience you had with um, Bob Monroe and, and various others, and you used to go and hang out in the lab and spend 15 or 20 hours a week. What were you actually doing? What was going on there? Well, in the beginning, what we were doing was <clears throat> he was teaching us how to let go of the physical world, which really wasn't all that easy for a physicist and electrical engineer, because we're very, you know, reality based. We're very hard, mm -hmm. hardcore science types. But yeah. he let, taught us how to let go of that, which is basically what meditation does, right? Mm -hmm. In meditation, mm -hmm. you have no thoughts. Mm -hmm. You let go of that physical world. We had to do that and how to then experience be open to experiences outside of that and that meant that was difficult in the sense that your intellect wanted to jump in and mm -hmm. do the analysis it wants to mm -hmm. jump in and and make an assessment you know mm -hmm. it wants to analyze as you go and mm -hmm. that ruins the process mm -hmm. so what we had to do was learn how to just be just be not thinking of anything in particular take the intellect set it aside now you're in an intuitive space and you just be and you're open and you let that go without comment, without being uh, uh, judgmental, just experience. Mm -hmm. Well, that was the first thing we had to learn to stay in that state, in that intuitive state and just experience. Then we had to learn to direct that to where we were in that state. But there were certain things we'd like to know, like remote viewing, you know, at a particular set of coordinates or something that's in some envelope someplace, a picture or a number. There's a big blackboard in the room next to the control room. And Bob, mm. after we were in our isolation booths, we were in booths that were acoustically and the one I was mm. in electromagnetically isolated. You know, it was wow. a big Faraday cage. So we were in these isolation booths. Actually, there were three booths in a row. I was in no, number one. Dennis was in number three. So we, we always had a, a vacant booth between us. So it just kind of doubled up on the on the uh, acoustic isolation that we had well bob could go in and he'd write a number you know he'd write like a 12 digit number on a blackboard while we were in these in these booths and uh, hmm. we were to go look at it so then we had to learn to direct our our uh, intuitive awareness hmm. right hmm. directed to particular things and we would then see whether we got it right or we got it wrong Mm -hmm. And of course, if you get it, if you ever get it right, even once, you know, it's possible. Mm -hmm. After that, it's just a matter of getting good at it. Mm -hmm. You see, so we did it. And uh, over and over and over again, all sorts of things. 
we would go try to read uh, the headline that was going to be on the local newspaper uh, one week from wow. from today. You wow. know, I mean, we tried everything. I mean, we're just experimentalists, <laughs> right? We we tried everything, and and some things worked easily. Some things worked occasionally. Some things never worked at all. You know, so we're just out trying. And now, fast forward to about two years in of this. Yeah. And we had accumulated a huge amount of, of evidence that what we were doing was real. Mm-hmm. We were getting information that was paranormal. There was no normal explanation for how we were able to get that information. And we could do it over again, and it was reliable, and it was repeatable, and we could do that. We also practiced healing, using our intent to heal mm-hmm. or um, other things, gathering information, information that otherwise we shouldn't be able to get, you know, just information about a person or uh, mm-hmm. whatever. And then we find out whether that was right. So we, we limit ourselves only to things that were evidential, things that you could check out later to see whether or not you actually got it right or not. Yeah. And yeah. you had to have a, you know, you had to, you know, if, if you got, if everything was binary and you got half of it right, well, that's just guessing. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's not like that. But some things are, you know, are very obvious. Like you ha- you're working on healing somebody who's had a chronic illness and they've had it for the last two decades and it's never gotten any better mm-hmm. over that time. It's just chronic. They live with it. So you work on it and two days after you work on it, they get a lot better. Mm-hmm. And then they get over it. Well, now that's different than just, you know, oh, they have a headache. And you see if your head, you know, the headache goes away. Well, the headache goes away. Yeah, it might just go away by itself anyway. You know, you don't know. So you have to do lots of these things. But some of them turned out to be very evidential. And we did that for several years. But, you know, getting it in your gut and getting it in your intellect are two different things altogether. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And at that time, both Dennis and I had gotten it in our heads. This was real. We were doing this mm-hmm. stuff. There was no doubt about it. But I didn't actually have it at my gut level yet because mm-hmm. the gut says, yeah, but maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's mm-hmm. some other kind of explanation mm-hmm. going on, you know. And my, my kind of turning point where I got over that and stopped asking the question, is it real? was when Dennis and I went out of body together. And this was an experiment. Like I say, we're doing experiments. And this Mm -hmm. was an experiment that Bob thought up. And he said, okay, I want you two to go out together. I want you to meet up above the lab in your non-physical forms and go have an adventure. And we each (laughs) had a microphone dangling just above our mouths. And this is the way we always did it. This is how Bob trained us. And as we had experiences, we would voice them. That's the way Bob could teach us. Otherwise, Bob had no idea what was going on in our heads. So there was nothing he could do to really help us out or teach us. So that's the way we learned to do this. So Dennis and I met above the lab and we went and probably close to two hours worth of seeing things, talking to people, talking to each other. Uh, You know, it was, you know, it wasn't like uh, we sat in a gray uh, cloud, you know, the whole time. Well, you know, that's (laughs) not very evidential, right? You have to, you know, so we did a lot of evidential things. And when we got out of there, 
Bob asked us, you know, we you kind of get out of your, your booth, your isolation booth, and you go down to the control room. And uh, so Bob said, hey, you guys think you were together? And we kind of looked at each other because we hadn't communicated during any of this. And mm. I said, yeah, well, I thought so. And he said, well, he thought so too. And Bob says, well, listen to this. So he, he flips both of the cassettes. This is back in cassette tape days, which mm. kind of tells you how dated it is. He flipped the, the both cassette was on at the same time so that they were synced in time and there was dennis and i having a conversation answering each other's questions oh wow. look over there do you see that tower you uh -huh. mean that big uh, green tower with the mm -hmm. uh you know stuff on it and whatever and we go yeah right that one and you know so there was this conversation going back and forth between dennis and i who were you know booth one and three all acoustically isolated couldn't possibly have heard you know, what each other were saying. Mm -hmm. And Bob was able to talk to each one of us independently. You know, he could slide a little switch and talk to me or slide a little switch and talk to, to Dennis. And uh, he would do it. And as we, uh, you know, as we progressed through this, he was taking it all down on the tape. So at that point, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I probably spent the next three weeks kind of in a daze with the thought, my God, this is real. Yeah. This is really real. I mean, mm. how else do you explain yeah. that Dennis and I are going out, seeing the same things, having conversations, answering each other's questions? This obviously was real. Mm -hmm. The only other explanation is that one of us was experiencing this and the other was somehow picking up on their on their thoughts mm -hmm. and getting it from them. But that's <laughs> even more ridiculous than the fact that it's real. You know, that's mm. they're they're both they're both really far out there as mm -hmm. far as normal goes. So that was when I stopped asking mm -hmm. the question, is it, is it real? Mm -hmm. And I, I still didn't know how it worked. I still didn't know what the limits were, what you could do and why you could do it. Why does mm -hmm. it work real well sometimes and is easy and other times it's hard or doesn't work at all? Mm -hmm. Why is that? How does diet <clears throat> affect it? Is there anything else that affects it? And on and on and on doing the research to try to understand these things. So mm -hmm. 35 years later, I think I understand it and I write my book, you know, the My Big Toe Trilogy. And basically that was to be a book that explained consciousness. It was really a theory of consciousness. But I knew that consciousness was fundamental because mm -hmm. I could do things in consciousness that would affect this physical world. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't do things in the physical world that actually rearranged consciousness. Mm -hmm. So the, the vector of causality was from consciousness to the physical world, not the mm -hmm. other way. That mm -hmm. tells you logically that consciousness is fundamental and the physical uh -huh. world is a derivative. Yeah, you right. see? So... I knew, I knew that. And I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to derive physics, but I published the books and hadn't figured out exactly how to do that. But I knew you must be able to because consciousness was fundamental mm -hmm. and the physical world was secondary mm -hmm. or was a derivative. Therefore, consciousness theory should be able to derive physics. And about two years after I published those books, the aha moments came and I got it, and I could derive physics, and I could understand quantum physics. And it's not weird science. It's just logical science like any other science. 
You know, we have all of science and it's all logical and it's all rational except quantum mechanics. And that's just weird stuff. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not rational. Well, it is. Once you understand it, you know exactly why the double slit experiment works the way it does. You know exactly, you know, why all those things work and you can solve all of the paradoxes. Mm. Physics is just riddled with paradoxes, things that they, we know are true because the experiments validate it, but we have no idea why it's like that. Mm. I mean, even simple things like where does time come from? Mm -hmm. Where does space come from? Where does charge come from? Mm. Where does mass come from? You know, all these things we don't know. And those are the basic things. Everything else in physics is, is made out of, out of that stuff. And we have no idea. Physicists just say, well, they just are. We just accept them because they right. are. And mm. we can show that they are. And we have no idea why. Well, there is reasons. Now mm. I can tell you exactly where time comes from mm. and mass and space and all those things. So it, uh, it is better physics. And not only did I solve the big mystery in quantum mechanics, but also the big mystery in relativity, which is why is the velocity of light always a constant? Everything else in our experience, if the, if the source is moving, then the thing that's projected from that source is moving with the velocity of the projection plus the velocity of the source. Velocities add, but not with light. With light, it doesn't matter how fast your flashlight's going. When you flip it on, that light comes out of that flashlight at the same speed. Mm. Always just the velocity of light. It's a constant. Mm. And with photons, they either go at that constant speed or they don't, you know, they don't have any rest mass. You know, Tom, I wanted to ask you really quick. Um, it was really fascinating hearing some of the benefits that you're talking about with out-of-body experiences. And what I'm really tracking there is how much we're not limited by time and space, actually, if we're able to really go beyond the physical, the material, mm -hmm. and open up to our full capacity and potential in that way. Mm -hmm. My question to you is, what would you say has been the biggest benefit in your life for having going out of body like what would you say overall is the biggest well, benefit for you let's not just say going out of body let's say just learning about mind and mm -hmm. and uh, and you know living in a in a larger reality other yes. than just other than just the physical yes let's, yeah. let's not just limit that to mm -hmm. out of body but in any case it is huge it changes everything it's not just a you know a, a mind game or something that is an analytical thing that you can talk about it changes everything. One, you now have a much bigger sense of reality. Okay? Your reality is not this small little world anymore. It's a much bigger world. And in that much bigger world, information is available about all sorts of things. Information is available. And eventually, you're... Your everyday life is not so much a jump between here and there, like I'm in here, now I'm in the physical world, and now I'm there, but that all blends together into just one thing. You live in a larger reality. You live in a reality that has information in it that would seem paranormal to the objective part, but in your mind, it's just information, a source. So you live in a larger reality that has um, what a lot, what my terminology, a lot larger decision space, mm. decision mm. space are all the choices you have, all the things that you can do, all the things you're able to interact with. Mm. It's just a bigger reality. So that's one thing. Another thing is that you realize that you're not your body. 
your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Consciousness is fundamental, and as consciousness, you're immortal. Mm-hmm. Your body mm-hmm. dies, but you don't. Virtual reality, your elf, your character dies, but you, the player, don't die. So mm-hmm. we, consciousness, are the players in a virtual reality, and our bodies are the avatars mm-hmm. in this virtual reality. And as strange as that sounds, that perspective solves a lot of problems. Like I say, all these these paradoxes in physics, you know, once you get that perspective that this is a virtual reality, so many things that are unknown and very complicated become very simple and easy to understand. So besides that, so you lose the fear of death. Mm -hmm. You have a much bigger perspective on what's going on. And when you have that bigger picture, you tend to let go of a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of I, I, you know, ego. You let go of that because your perspective is bigger than that. That's a, that I, I is a very small perspective. And the smaller your perspective is, the more self-centered you are. You know, those things go together. So the self-centeredness drops away. Fears tend to drop away. You see things more from a big picture viewpoint than from the little picture, little picture viewpoint, which is what you were trapped in before. You let go of beliefs. There's all kinds of things that people believe, like out of body is that some spirit oozes out of your head and, you know, and, and flies away. You, know, you let go of all these beliefs mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. reality. Another major belief about reality is materialism and mm-hmm. determinism. You know, these are beliefs that scientists are stuck in. Beliefs are a trap. So mm-hmm. you learn to be skeptical of everything. Believe nothing. If it's not your experience, it's not your truth. Mm, it's somebody like else's that. experience, mm-hmm. okay, you can look at it mm-hmm. and you can decide to believe it or not believe it, but neither one of those will take you anywhere important. Mm. You have to find out for yourself. You have to test mm. it. You have to go there because if it's not your experience, it can't be your truth. It's somebody else's truth, but not yours. Mm-hmm. So be open-minded, but always be skeptical. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, so that's a, a basic concept that you learn so there's lots of things so you let go of fear you let go of ego you let go of beliefs you live in a larger reality and what does that do how does that look it looks like you're smiling most of the time you're happy life is good everything is just fine you know you realize that everything is pretty much the way it should be the way it needs to be and that it's not You know, most people go through their life with the idea that what you do is you try to manipulate what happens to be what you want to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you manipulate your children and your spouse and your boss and everybody to make things come out the way you'd like it to come out, to make your boss want to give you that raise, to make your wife want to do this or that, do the things you want to do, to make your children do their homework. And, you know, you're trying to make everything come out the way you want it to come out. Okay. Well, that's very wrong-headed. That's very self-centered. What you should do instead is just look at what happens. Let whatever happens, happens, look at it, and see how can I deal with that positively, mm-hmm. okay? And it's not that you try to manipulate people to do what you want. It's that you let people be whoever they are. Mm-hmm. And if you can help them, that's good. Because you find that it, when you get rid of that fear and ego, you find that it's about what you can give, not what yeah. you can take. How yeah. can you contribute? 
So you see people as people you might be able to help. Some people you can't help because they're too closed off. They're locked into yeah. a belief trap. Yeah. So it just changes. You know, when I say, you know, what does it change? You know, how does that affect you? Well, it just changes everything mm -hmm. totally yeah. and, com and completely. You understand things that, that people don't understand, you know, and it, it's, it just <clears throat> flows through your whole life and every aspect of it. Tom, you've talked about, thank you for that. You've talked about, um, the practical aspects as you weave this, weave the narrative, because a lot of what you've talked about is uh, related to, I'm sure a lot of our audience is thinking through, well, what should I do about this? You know, um, Tom's had this experience. He's tested, um, and experimented since the 1970s. And he's now talking about his learnings and, and how mm -hmm. I can, you know, inculcate some of that in my own life. Uh, then I have a follow on question on that, which talks to what you've just said, which is, um, I guess, I guess that sense of realization where you are, uh, the analogy I would give is, I, I, the way I relate to your points is, uh, every time I take a plane, an airplane, and I'm sitting and I'm staring out of the window, and I'm thinking about life and the busyness and everything else you've just talked about that mm -hmm. consumes us. And as soon as the plane lifts up, you see that, um, that, that spot on the ground gets smaller and smaller and smaller and the cars get smaller and smaller and smaller. And then you're in the air and you think, oh my God, everything's so insignificant in that little house of mine or that the little head of mine down there because it makes no difference to the expanse around me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the way I interpret what you've just said. And I often think about that when I'm on a plane. I think, oh my God, I'm so insignificant. Everything's so insignificant. There's got to be something much bigger out there. So talk, talk us through one point, which is, which is definitely playing on people's minds, which is, can we, can one, not we, can one practice and experience what you've experienced? Experience is truth. So, so how do we experience what you've experienced? Have you found that actually we can all do this? Do we have to isolate ourselves in some sort of electromagnetic box or do we just do it with the Headspace app? How do we do a little bit more every day to be more complete and fulfilled and um, detach ourselves from all of those things that you've just talked about that is holding us back, especially, especially in regards to the sort of state of affairs um, around the world today? Okay. Um in order to answer that, let me talk about one of your later questions that we were going to get to later on. And yeah. that is, let's talk about the difference between, you know, intellectual space, intellectual processing and intuitive processing. Okay, now, consciousness has these two different modes of processing information, the intuitive and intellectual. Mm -hmm. I call the intuitive, sometimes I call that the being level. That's just where you are. You're not thinking, you're not mm -hmm. analyzing. It's, mm -hmm. it's just what you are, consciousness. So these two work together marvelously, really will give you a bigger reality when they work together. But we, particularly in Western culture, we discount the intuitive space as being unreliable, um, often gives us wrong answers. You know, it's... Matter of fact, the science community would tell you it doesn't exist. You know, we just, we just right. pretend that there's an intuition. It's not, it doesn't really exist. And we think that all of our, of our uh, mind is tied up in the intellect. Mm -hmm. And if it's not in our intellect, then we say that it's in our subconscious. Mm -hmm. Okay, because it's, the conscious kind of defines our intellect. So they see consciousness as just an intellect. Well, it isn't. Consciousness has these two ways of processing information. And 
What, um, let me give you a little idea about these two. Let's look at the intellect first, because that's, that's what most of us uh, think our mind is. The intellect has this magnificent tool called logic, and it's a very precise, exact tool. <laughs> most of us don't use it very well. You know, we make assumptions. We do all kinds of things that aren't logical, but that's our tool is logic. But the problem is that we never have enough information to really make deductive choices. You know, uh, should I marry Sue or should I marry Sally? Well, that's an important question. It's going to affect all the rest of my life. And... Or both. <laughs> yeah, or both. Right, or neither, you know. And these are questions that will affect the rest of your life. Yeah. So they're important. And how are you going to do that logically? You see, so you have this precise tool, but when it comes down to the big, meaningful choices that you have to make, you don't ever have enough information. So mm -hmm. you got a great tool, but very ratty information. Now, in the intuitive side, it's just the opposite. In the intuitive side, you have lots of information out there. And mm -hmm. you'll have to take my word for it at this point, because we don't have enough time to go into why that is. But mm -hmm. there's information out there, very precise, very detailed on everything. Mm -hmm. So you have all of the information you could possibly need, but your tool now is a, kind of, is a little ratty. Mm -hmm. Your tool mm -hmm. is your own intuition. It's that part of you that's at the, at the bean level. It's at the core of you. It's not your intellect. It's just you at the core, your bean level, your intuition. And that is ratty because it has to it has to do with how focused are you? How mm -hmm. clear is your mind? Mm -hmm. Are thoughts constantly running through your mind? How noisy is your mind? What's your attitude? What about your fears? What are you afraid of? If you get information that is that is contrary to what you believe, well, you'll just throw it away. You see, so you've got this really ratty tool that is not all that reliable because you've never developed it. Now, mm -hmm. uh, we have our intellect, which also has to be developed. You know, that's what we do, right? From kindergarten all the way through to graduate school, you're honing and developing and polishing that intellectual tool. That's what we measure when we measure IQ, for the most part. We measure this, mm -hmm. you know, your, that intellectual tool. Mm -hmm. How developed is it? And we, we don't develop our intuitive side. Mm -hmm. So we've got an intuitive side that is still, you know, what, uh, two years old. And we have an intellectual side that has a PhD. Mm -hmm. And that's the way we go through life, mm -hmm. terribly unbalanced. Mm -hmm. Well, what the out-of-body and, and remote viewing and what those things will do for you, those things in themselves are really not important. It doesn't matter that you can remote view or that you can go out-of-body. But the practice of those things require you to practice working in the intuitive space. Mm -hmm. So you can think of that as exercising that intuitive space, just like, you know, reading books, uh, doing mathematics and solving puzzles exercises your intellectual space. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, doing these paranormal things exercises your intuitive space. Mm -hmm. Other than that, they really don't have much value in themselves, mm -hmm. but they do have value in, in doing that. So when you develop your intuitive side, you will find that it is just as precise and just as reliable as your intellectual side. 
Right. It's, it's just as reliable, just as precise. So a complete person is somebody who has a well-developed intuitive side, a well-developed intellectual side, and the two of those together are just amazing when they work together with each other because you need both. You need really both to live in a larger reality in a, in a bigger world, see bigger mm -hmm. pictures. You need both of those things going on together. So mm -hmm. I would say you ask, like, how do we do that? How do we get that? Well, <clears throat> practice working on your intuition, mm -hmm. on your intuitive side. And there's lots of little exercises you can, you can do. You know, you, you can if you just mm -hmm. go on the Internet. You can find dozens of, inter of, of little exercises for honing and developing your intuitive side and the which is which is what all my whole book is about actually decisive yeah. intuition is exactly yeah. that whole point of how do you actually access that space yeah that's so it's something you can do but you have to work at it yes and it takes practice just like you had to work at developing your intellectual side and that mm -hmm. takes practice yeah you know if you talk to people who've never been educated at all somebody grew up in a jungle and never did anything right with well if they're not very intellectual yeah. Everything that you can talk to them and carry on a conversation if you know their language, but everything is concrete. They right. can only talk about the stuff that's in front of them, that's there, that's concrete. And they may know a lot about that because that's where they live. But when it comes to abstract thoughts, abstract notions, how does this affect that? Mm -hmm. You know, thinking the next move three, three lines back or downstream in time, they don't do that. You know, that's something that you have to polish your intellect to be able to do. So first thing is you need to develop that, that other side of your consciousness and become balanced so that you can use both. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the intellect is a bad thing you want to let go of. You only want to let go of it when the intuitive side is working. And right. the intuitive mm -hmm. side needs to let go when the intellectual side is working. Exactly. And they both have to work together. And a, a, a problem comes up, an issue that you have to deal with, and whichever one has the better handle on it, grabs it and works. And as they get pieces that the other one does better, they shove those pieces over to the other side and they, it all works together. So that's what puts you actually into a much bigger reality. You live in a space that has a lot more information in it. So what do you do? How do you do that? Uh, well, meditation is a good start. And the reason that's a good start is because that will train you to lower the noise in your mind. That's kind of step one in the intuitive space, get rid of all the noise. Otherwise you can't tell noise from signal mm -hmm. if you have so much noise. So you learn to get into a meditation state where you have no thoughts. You're just sitting there. And eventually when you do that, you will lose connection with the physical world. Okay. Because you stop processing physical right. data. You stop saying, Oh, here's what I see. Here's what I smell. Here's what I feel. You know, and you just stop processing that and you don't, if you're sitting in a chair, you begin to not even be aware of the chair mm -hmm. or that you're sitting and you become a point of consciousness, just a point of consciousness in a dark void. And the only thing you're aware of is that you exist. It's the Descartes mm -hmm. moment. You know, mm -hmm. I think, therefore I am, and I am, therefore I think, you know, it's that. And that's what I call point consciousness. And when you can get to that state and hold it for pretty much as long as you like, then you can use that state as a launch platform for everything else. 
But first you have to be able to get there and just be there, low noise, not mm -hmm. just for 10 seconds, but for 10 minutes or an hour or two hours. And when you can do that, now, once you're in that space, you're in an intuitive space. See, mm -hmm. you've let go of intellectual space. Mm -hmm. And in that intuitive space, you can think in intuitive space. You can have thoughts, but the thoughts cannot be analytical. Mm -hmm. They cannot be judgmental. Mm -hmm. They cannot be comparative. In other words, you got to stop doing that intellectual analysis stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can give yourself direction. Oh, I'd like to do this. I'd like to get this information. I'd like to see what's going on uh, in my, you know, my mother's house. Mm -hmm. And then I can call her up and see whether that's what was going on there. And you start collecting evidence because without evidence, you'll never know whether you're making it up or whether it's happening outside of you yourself or whether you're just making it up. Mm -hmm. So that's basically the path that you go. You'd go to develop that intuitive side Start with meditation because that gets the noise level down. That gets your focus up. Get to the point where you can, you can be in point consciousness for a reasonable amount of time and then use that as a launch platform because now you're 100% in the intuitive space. And then you can do all sorts of things. You can heal. You can get data out of databases. You can remote view. You can do all sorts of things. You can solve problems there. That's mm -hmm. where a lot of problems get solved already. You know, people do this any, anyhow. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I'm saying, oh, this big process, and you think about, oh, this is a big lengthy process. Is it going to take a lot of time? But people just do it anyway. The mm -hmm. thing is, they only do it for a few seconds at a time. They right. drop into that state and flash. They get something, mm -hmm. okay? Now they get a premonition or they get an insight right. or things fall together. And we jump in and out of that state off and on as we need it when we relax that's why you know relaxing letting go getting everything you know stop fussing about the problem mm -hmm. just let it go in your mind and poof, mm -hmm. up will come a solution well we're doing all these things but we do it sporadically mm -hmm. and we don't do it to the point that we really have it under our control to where we can focus on whatever problem we want when we want and get the answers we want we just kind of take whatever we get, and occasionally it happens, occasionally it doesn't, and it's all kind of a hit or miss sort of thing. And so we can do it because we are consciousness. So we have that there. We have that connection. And yes, everybody can do it. Mm -hmm. But you can, like anything else, you know, if you do it once, you know it's possible. And after mm -hmm. that, it's just a matter of getting good at it. Yeah. So the getting good at it will help, will get you to... Mm -hmm develop your intuitive side which will put you into a larger reality in which you you live and now when somebody comes up and starts a conversation with you you not only have them but you have where that conversation's coming from and mm -hmm. why they're having that conversation with mm -hmm. you and what really it's all about compared to what it is they're telling you mm -hmm. and you get all of that information yeah. instantly about what's going on you can yeah. read between lines you, yep. under, you feel people's feelings. You become an empath. Mm -hmm. You can taste the food they're eating mm -hmm. if you wish. You know, mm -hmm. all of that information is available. You can go back and see things in history, databases. Yep. You can go Amazing. to the probable future and see what the probabilities are. Mm -hmm. And once you understand the probable future, you realize that our intention modifies that future probability mm. that we can, we can modify those probabilities with our intent. Mm -hmm. That's a feedback mechanism. 
That's a way in which we uh, participate in the reality that we have through our intentions, you know, through the intentions to say of all humans, you know, we create Mm -hmm. the reality that we live in. Now, we don't create it entirely because we all interact with each other and Mm -hmm. people do things that affect us. We do things that affect others. But in many ways, we change the probabilities of what happens. We collectively do that. And if you look out at this world and you say, wow, is this place dysfunctional? Look at all the greed and nastiness and meanness and dysfunction out there. Well, that is a very accurate representation of the quality of consciousness Mm -hmm. of humanity. That's who we are. Mm -hmm. That's why it's like that, because that's why we're, you know, that's the way we are. And yeah. we say, well, if we could just change that politician and get rid of that CEO and you know, everything would be better. It won't be better. It'll right. only be better for a very short time and mm-hmm. it'll go right back to the way it was because we haven't changed any. Right. You see? So getting rid of that nasty dictator, okay, that will make life more pleasant for people for a while, but eventually it'll end up back mm-hmm. where it was unless we change. So yeah. it comes, us, it gets us to the point that if you want to, save yourself and save your world, then work on yourself, get rid of your fear, yeah. you know, develop yourself, care about mm-hmm. other people. Uh, you know, it has to be about others, not about self. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is, that's your, your optimal <coughs> thing that you can do mm-hmm. to help the whole world is to fix yourself. And when we change, when we grow up, well, the politicians and the CEOs and all those other people, they'll grow up too. Mm-hmm. They'll be a lot better. They're just us. Yeah. And us in a position of power. That's a, that's a perfect note to end on Tom. We have to end with our hour here, but that self sovereignty you're speaking to is so incredibly powerful and such a threat of our show of being a maverick leader is you have to have that level of sovereignty that you're talking about that self empowerment in that way. Yeah. Um, Tom, this has been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, Thank I'm... you so much for your experience and <laughs> testing this out all these years. And the place you speak from is very powerful. Um, and we definitely would love to have you back at some point soon if you're open to that. Um, sure. If you intend and we intend, it, it can happen. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. I, th- I, think, I think a lot of what you, we've had, we've had loads of questions throughout the, the session, in fact, but I think you had us uh, captivated. And um, I must say, I think when you were speaking, you were intuiting, um, you were you were channeling your intuitive capabilities because a lot of, uh, and I'm not making this up and maybe it wasn't intentional, but a lot of what I was thinking, um, in fact, some of the questions I wanted to ask you, even though you've rehearsed it, perhaps some of the questions I wanted to ask you at a certain point and what was going on in my mind, even there were a couple of things you shared that were personal to me that you talked about maybe intentionally or unintentionally, but um, uh, you had my attention, hence I, I wasn't able to ask you a question or interrupt, <laughs> and neither was Rick. So because you're talking about something that is very important to humankind, and we are lost, we have been lost for a while. And so thank you for reminding us, um, especially as we start of 2021, in, on a positive note. Um, but I'll hand it back to Rick to, to wrap the proceedings. There's so many questions we can't unfortunately deal with them at this point. Uh, but Rick, do you, do you have you? Yeah, I'll you, jump in here. Yeah. So, yeah. Tom, just really quickly, where can people find out more about you and your work? Where should they go? Well, um, if they're interested in the books, I, uh, of course, they can get them any place that they can get books, you know, Amazon and bookstores and so on. Um, 
if they don't want to buy the book but would like to look at it anyway, it's free on Google Books. When as soon as they came published, I put it out there on Google Books for free, hmm. so they can go there. If they want to see uh, me on YouTube, everything I do, I try to take a video copy of it hmm. and put it on YouTube. So everything that I do, all the connections, all the talks I give, they're all there. The downside to that is there's like over a thousand hours of video there. So it's a little overwhelming, but uh, <clears throat> take your time and go through it slowly. Yes. You can go to a website, www.mbt.com. That's not MBT. My big toe, www.mybigtoe.com. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also an MBT events. Go okay. to MBT events to find out where I'm going to be talking and what's going on in the near future. Matter of fact, starting this Sunday, a couple of days from now, I'll be teaching people how mm. to remote view, go out of body, uh, mm. heal, and do those things. I, I, have, I do courses on that. Again, not because that stuff's so important, but because that's a good exercises for developing your intuitive, yeah. your intuitive mm. side. Mm. Um, Fantastic. Well, if you go to my website, you'll find links to most of the rest of the mm. stuff out there. There's lots of it. And don't be intimidated by it. Just the one thing I should say, if you're interested in science, if science is your key thing, then you will find a video called uh, MBT LA 2016. And I talked about science and I gave a couple of physics um, experiments. I had kind of disclosed them there and those are actually being done. They're being done at, at uh, Cal Poly uh, mm. right now. And they will lend a lot of evidence to this. They're quantum mm. mechanics experiments that things that have never been done before that uh, hopefully will uh, add evidence. So mm. I talked mainly about physics and science there on the first day. And then the second day, I talked all about why does it really matter? Mm. <laughs> Who cares, right, about physics right. or science? What's the, <laughs> what's the point? What's the bigger What's the bigger view? So anybody interested in the science part, go to the MB, MBT LA 2016. Great. Tom, thank you so much. You're a wealth of, of consciousness and everything in between. So appreciate you being on the show. Got to yeah. go, but thank you so much, Tom. And we'll be able to see the replay on iTunes and Spotify. And um, thank you again. Deep thanks for everything that you've you've done for us today. And we we will no doubt have you back on the show if that's okay. And I'd like mm -hmm. to, to connect with you as well on a whole bunch of things. But uh, fascinating and enlightening. And thank you for making... Um, making this our first and memorable, memorable start to the year. So uh, thank you very much. I think Rick's had a Wi-Fi. There's a lot of energy around him, I guess. <laughs> so the Wi-Fi stopped working. But uh, real pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks to the audience. We'll see you next week. Um, the year is going to be fascinating for us. And um, God bless you all. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, good night. Good afternoon. Good night. Thank you.